0: Everybody ready? Come on, let's go. The Rick Show! Let's go! The Rick Show! Let's go! Yo, what's up? Welcome to the show. This is Rick Thorne. On this episode, I got an old friend of mine. His name is Brandon Novak. We're going to talk about his life, how he changed it around, what he's doing today, how he's helping other people, and the books that he's written. Let's get into it right now. Let's do this.
1: Hey, my brother, how are you?
0: What's up, dude? What are you doing?
1: Nothing much. You?
0: I'm pretty good, man. Just, you know, regular jamming. Stoked to talk to you again. Sorry about earlier, before. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I know, man. No, no worries, dude. That that clearly wasn't the the interview that was supposed to be heard.
0: You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm such a professional that I forgot to push record.
1: Story of my fucking life, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, dude. It. Wait, right now let me check. Yeah, the red lights on. We're good to go, bro. Fuck yeah. So what's new man? What are you doing?
1: Um I'm actually out here. I'm out your way. I was in um I was in Encinitas over the weekend doing a spiritual retreat workshop. Um That was really rad. had some uh, pretty significant breakthroughs and kind of got deeper into myself and, you know, like all the masks that I wear and and things that like, you know, created the ultimate outcome, which is this guy today who has like a whole bunch of defects and and things he needs to work through. You know, so ultimately it allowed me to like uncover the problem in order to discover the problem. So I could have some hopes to recover from the problem.
0: <laughs> wow, man, you are you are such a trooper, bro. I I love the fact that you're always working on yourself. What is that called again? A spiritual what?
1: A spiritual retreat.
0: Oh, so that's just that's not that's something that you were in charge of. That's something you signed up for.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was like a. I mean, they have them all over, so it's kind of a common thing. But um this one in particular was like an invite only, which allowed it to be more, more of a closed setting, uh, and a really intimate kind of vibe going on. And, um, like I did this one, um, Brandon Turner, you know, the pro skater, Brandon Turner, he went with me and we did it together. And it's just, it, you know, it's not just like a sober thing. Cause like him and I are sober, but there were people there that aren't sober. But I think it's just, it's for people that are, you know, kind of trying to walk within a specific circle of people, just kind of you know manifesting our beliefs and and understanding that we create our reality, and and, and trying to find the positive things and in, in people, despite you know our judgment of them, whether it's people, places, or things, and. You know, so it, it's really cool—just a bunch of like-minded people getting together, going on this inward journey to find sometimes answers that we're looking for, and sometimes answers that we don't even know we're looking for. Well,
0: what do you guys do when you're there? Like, what what's the day consist of, or something like that? I'm I'm curious because I've never been or yeah. you know. But well,
1: this one, like this one, it was a, a two-day workshop, so it was like a, a Saturday and a Sunday, and. And we do different exercises while we're there, and we're guided through it by like some professionals that have studied and went to school for a long time, um, and and worked in this field. And, and this one we did like breathing exercises. We 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 did mantras. We we did exercises where we like stare into each other's eyes. Because ultimately, like for me, there there was a, a incident that took place. Um, when I was six years old, that a uh, position that my father put me in, that that he questioned something that I was doing when I was being completely vulnerable and transparent and open and just doing as a child would do and admiring my father, but because of his insecurities and, and his lack of self-worth and, and all his defects that he was dealing with, um, he questioned me and, like, you know, said something to me, and and again, unbeknownst to me, at that very moment, I decided that I would never let anybody see me for me, right, and and, and since that moment forward, I've created these masks that I wear, that like, when people see me, I know how to kind of like, or when I believe that they can like, not see, like, I mean like, see me, see me, and not like, you know, like an interview like this, where it goes out to the masses, but, like, close, intimate relationships, you know, which is kind of, like, why I'm a fucking single 42-year-old man that lives with three cats. (laughs) There's, like, this pattern that's been created, and I'm trying to break that cycle and learn how to allow people into my life, like, close, intimate people into my life.
0: Oh, so it's the intimacy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, just, for me, what mine
1: is, 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 um, Vulnerability. And being completely transparent um, in a relationship, you know, like a close, intimate, personal relationship, which is ironic because I, I can like, you know, I, I've, I've written fucking two books. One became like insanely successful and in it's autobiographies and they're literally about my life and I talk about things like letting men blow me for fucking heroin and, and all this gnarly shit. So you would think that I have no problem being transparent. <laughs> but, and I don't when it comes to like the world, but when it comes to a very close setting of people that I'm really allowing into my life, like I, I avoid it like the plague almost.
0: Yeah, well, when you said uh, books, I was going to mention uh, something about your books that, well, let's talk about them. The first one you wrote was uh, Dream Seller. You wrote that a few years back, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I wrote that like, nine years back to be specific. And and I wrote that um, not even like really knowing what I was doing. Didn't, at that point in time when I wrote that book, I had no high school diploma. Uh, I was expelled from the 11th grade uh, due to my drug usage. Um, I got my GED a few years later while I was incarcerated in the penitentiary. But But while I was writing this book, Like, again, I had no desire to write a book. I didn't want to be an author. The only reason why I wrote the book is because at the time I was living with Bam. He had kind of, like, rescued me or saved me from Baltimore and and my vicious, vicious heroin addiction that allowed me to become homeless living on the streets of Baltimore, eating out of trash cans, prostituting my body just to secure enough finances to acquire another bag of heroin. Living on that animalistic level, where I simply live to use and use to live, um,
0: and that's all in the book.
1: Yeah, that's all in that book. But you know, then one day, it's funny. Bam and I grew up skating together, and and we would every year we would go to this contest in Bricktown, New Jersey, the NSA's, and and either he would win or I would win. Right? We were both very similar skaters. We were really consistent. We were outside the box kind of trick guys, love transition, mini ramp, things like that. And either he would win or I would win. And then this particular year he showed up, he'd practice all year. I'd practice all year. This particular year he showed up. I didn't show up and Bucky was there. And Bam's like, Bucky's like, yo, where's Novak? And, And he's like, I think he's on heroin. And Bam's like, what the fuck is that? Right? Like so young, didn't even know what that word meant. Um, then fast forward several years later, I'm uh, homeless in Baltimore and uh, full blown heroin addict. And one day I'm trying to come up with some money. So I, I go into this local skate shop that occasionally would give me money here and there. And I walk into the skate shop and, and I try to get money and they're like, no, we're not giving you money. And they said, but Bam was here yesterday with the toy machine team. And, uh, and he asked about you and asked if you ever came in. And, and we said, sometimes. And, and he left his number here for you. And he said, if you want to get clean, to call him and, and he'll help you. So I, a few days later, I, I call that number. And, and it's BAM's. And, and short story long, he invites me to Pennsylvania. I, I move up there with him at this time. They're filming Viva La Bam. Um, and I had already made some appearances in like this I I'd, I'd been in the CKY movies a few times you know I had some characters in there and did some skits and so I was already in there and uh, so people were kind of aware of my deal who I was and, and then I come up in the filming the Viva Labams and and he allowed me to be on that show right so I had a character on there and I was a reoccurring theme and, and and life was getting better right like like I wasn't doing heroin or pills everyone was was really aware of the fact you know, from Bam, like don't give him any fucking pills. Don't make sure he's not doing heroin, right? Like those were the nose. He but
0: did. It was he okay. did. He like, did. He did all that because you guys were like uh, skate buddies. You guys met as skaters at the park, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you guys yeah, just yeah, clicked. You guys our, clicked, clicked as homies.
1: Yeah, that you we know that we grew up. We fucking met at like fourteen years old and became best friends from that moment on, and and we we're just you know genuine little skate rats that's all we gave a shit about awesome and um and then you know fast forward from evil Viva and 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 he was trying to do the best that he could with what he had and the knowledge that he possessed and he didn't understand addiction so it was okay if i you know drank and did glow because that's kind of like socially acceptable but it wasn't allowed i wasn't allowed to like eat pills and do heroin because i would like, fall asleep in mid-conversation. I would steal your wallet, to steal your car to go get more. So, so you know, it was going okay. But through that time, after we'd finished filming for the day, the cast and the crew, we'd go to, like, a bar, and, and there'd be a table of 40 or 50 of us, and Bam would be like, yo, tell that story. Uh, tell this story. And, and he was always really entertained and interested in the stories that I had from my heroin days you know he was really fascinated by them so so I would tell these stories and literally you could hear a pin drop in this bar of a table of like 50 people so one day while I'm telling these stories he's like you know what there's a new clan you're gonna write a book and he hands me a notebook and a pen and he said I don't even give a shit if you're not writing you have to carry this around 24-7 the first time that I don't see you with a pen and a paper in your hand you're going back to Baltimore and the deal's done. And now, like, the Scales of Justice were pretty easy to weigh out. Like, did I want to go back to Baltimore, be homeless, live on the streets and fucking let men blow me for heroin? Or do I want to attempt to write this book? So I go to the Barnes and & Nobles and I, I get this book that I really liked called A Million Little Pieces, which is like another addiction memoir. Um, and, and I kind of looked at the outline of how that guy wrote his book. And then... I emulated that, and I created an outline, and and I did it in 12 chapters, and and I wrote this book. And then about a year later, I hand the book to, to Bam, and I'm like, yo, I think I'm done. And Bam reads it, and he's like, dude, there's like fucking something here for real. So he then, in turn, tells Joe Franz, Joe Franz is the guy who filmed all the CKY movies. And he's a really smart guy. He was a professor. He taught in college. You know, he's got letters in front and behind his name. He's like, yo, you're going to be his co-writer. And Franz is like, fuck, I don't want to be tasked with that job. Like, Novak's inconsistent. He's incapable of finishing any projects. His behavior is erratic and sporadic at best. And he's really undependable. <laughs> and Bam's like, no, you're going to help him do this. So he takes those 12 chapters. Because I literally wrote it all in pen and paper. He takes the 12 chapters, turns it into 23 chapters. Bam's manager finds me a literary agent. And the literary agent shops the manuscript around. And, and we get a whole lot of no's and a few yeses. And we came to an agreement with, with uh, Kensington Publishers, Citadel Press. Um, and I, I became a legit published author. And as of a year ago, the book was just revised in its ninth edition. In wow. the literary world. In the literary world, like a book, 98% of the time will never make it past its first edition. This, this was revised in its ninth edition, uh, and people loved it so much that they, they added a new cover, a new ending, two bonus chapters, and a new epilogue just wow. because, like, this interest that wouldn't give. And I mean, I've, I've received hundreds of thousands of pieces of mail from all over the world of people telling me, like, how the book has saved their life and you know, all this stuff, and and I legit like had no desire or interest in writing the book at the time. It's just, it's a really a magical thing.
0: Wow, it is. That's that's something to be super proud of. Were you guys going to do a movie about the book?
1: Yeah, the the book was optioned off into a movie. Uh, this like billionaire guy by the name of Ted Fields bought it, and um, and then like the the first script came and it was pretty good and then they brought these like Hollywood writers in and the second and the third script got really weird and then they wanted to film it in Hollywood and they wanted to recreate Baltimore like the streets of Baltimore in Hollywood and it just got fucking strange and watered down and really diluted and we refused to come to an agreement and so ultimately they just shelved shelved the project Um, but what we didn't realize then that we know now is that we've been filming a documentary about my life for like 23 years because during that whole process, you know, and everything that we did with Jackass with CKY with Viva Labam, there was always cameras going and everyone was so fascinated with my, my, my story because my story doesn't like, I didn't get sober and then just never look back. Right, like I didn't get sober until six years ago. Um, I'm 42, so I was like 36, like 36, 35, or something. Like that when I when I finally got sober after my 13th treatment center, like way after the point that Bam brought me up to, to help get me cleaned up. Um, so in between, like all these highs and lows, there was always a camera running. So we realized. That we have this documentary, we have all this like footage of real time footage, to where we wouldn't even really need any B-roll to tie it together, and and that is actually, um, you know, being edited as we speak. It's in production at the moment, and and I have this full full length documentary coming out like about my life.
0: Oh, awesome, dude! When's that gonna? I mean, documentaries yeah. take a minute to get them right. But any projected dates, yeah. uh, when do you think that'll be done?
1: Well, a minute is an understatement to get it right. Because like I said, this thing has literally been in production for 22 years.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that's true.
1: But, but um, yeah, so we have one more scene to film where it's just like B-roll to kind of tie it all together. And, and then the editing process begins. And And I don't know what the release looks like with the date or... Or the avenues of, of
0: how it will be released. I was using my I street. Know. I was using my street lingo, bro. It's been a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I'm just kidding, man. Uh, your second book, The Streets of Baltimore. You just released that what, last year.
1: Yeah, that's the sequel to Dream Seller. Um, and it's really rad because the cool thing is, is that the books don't have to be read in chronological order. And with my life and kind of going through so many highs and lows and have, having had done some things basically throughout my whole addiction that people would have credit to success, happiness, potentially even dream of doing, there's just a lot to write about. You yeah. know, and this one kind of brings my father into the picture and... And all the Viva La Bam days while, like, you know, I was filming Viva La Bam and and most people would look at me like, wow, this guy has the life. But the internal struggle, the the demons that I was fighting and trying to conquer every day were, like, killing me, you know, like, because all I wanted to do was, like, get high and disappear into uh, the fucking world of addiction. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, find my identity through being on Viva La Bam with all these friends, like I wanted, what they had, which was this sense of camaraderie, friendship, you know, tight bonds. Um, but but internally, my body and my brain just couldn't conceive of that because my addiction was so powerful. It was just kind of pushing me in the direction of burning every one
0: of those bridges. When do you think that that started with you? Because I mean, you've done a lot of lot of. Uh you know, you learned a lot about yourself. You dug into your past. You know, uh, more than probably the average person would. And do you know when that started? Like that moment when you when you dig first time you tried heroin. What was what was the feeling? Or like, or I guess I should ask. You know, uh, what, what, what what was it that made your life change? Like, what was that moment that was like? Okay, I'm going to do this.
1: You, you know what's funny? It's it was not funny. it's Just the reality is that like. My story is my story, and I can't tell other people's stories. But, but my story isn't one that, like, I, I drank that bottle, I ate that pill, I sniffed that liner, I shot that bag, and I had that aha moment. like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Like, I, I had goals, I had dreams, I had aspirations. But I personally believe that I was genetically predisposed, meaning that my, my addiction. My father was an addict, his father was an addict. You know, it ran in my family. My father died as a direct result of his disease. And and with that being said, you know, when I got my first skateboard at the age of seven that night, my mother put me to bed. She said, Brandon, what are you going to do with the skateboard? I said, I want it in bed with me. She said, why? I said, because if I die, I want it to go with me. Right? Like, the moment that board touched my hand, I knew I was going to be a professional skateboarder. Um, I ate it. I breathed it. I slept it. I jumped in it. At the age of 15, I was, like, designing prototypes for Powell. You know, at the age of 14, I'm sponsored by Gatorade. I'm, I'm touring the world with, with the PAL team and doing things that people would equate to success, have and potentially even dream of doing. As a matter of fact, when the, the skateboarding did for me at a very young age what drugs and alcohol did for me at a later age. Like, give me that skateboard at the age of seven, and you put me in a room with the world's prettiest models. I not only believe that they've been waiting for me, but I'll think that they're dying to marry me. <laughs> right? Like, right. drugs and alcohol kind of produced that same delusional narrative later on down the road from. Um, but I can't tell you about the first time I picked it up. But what I can tell you about is the first time that somebody attempted to stand between me and it. And like in my story, unfortunately, anything that gets between me and 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 my my drug, it, it must and will go. And it's not personal; it's just business for the game that I play called addiction.
0: Wow. You know? So, what was that moment like when someone tried to say, "Hey, you can't do this"? What happened? Yeah.
1: It- it was a- like I was actually on tour with uh, with with the pal team, and um, it was like Villali and and all of us, and and Villali had found out that I had like some shit on me, and and he's like, get rid of the drugs or or get off the tour, and I, I get rid of the drugs, and then I I go back to the demo after we're done, and I get the drugs out of the sewer, and and then like he catches me with the drugs ultimately and he kicks me off the tour and I have to go back home and And it was kind of at that moment forward that because I was already headed in the direction of like allowing my addiction to, to, to rule my world right because prior to that as a young kid coming up in the skateboarding world I, I didn't have like a lot of accountability right like, like I I seem to have a method to my madness at a very young age, anyways. Right, like I was, I was flying out to California, staying at the Powell House, hanging out at Tony Hawk's house. You know, going to Chicago, sponsored by Gatorade. You know, doing these commercials,
0: living the life, dude. Back. You're doing it. Yeah, you're doing it. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, so then at that point, once beings that i'm genetically predisposed with my addiction because it runs in my family on my father's side by the time it kind of takes advantage of me and has complete grips of me it's too late for anyone to realize that it's already happened because i already seem to have a method to my madness and i'm already successful at a young age you know what i mean so so by the time that like i'm kicked off the tour and. And, and, and people are questioning my behaviors. I'm telling them like, that I have this under control and it's, it's really not that bad. Because see, my delusional alcoholic brain, the one that lies to me in my own voice that makes me believe the unbelievable, tells me that the skateboarding world needs me. It cannot go on without me. And I am an asset. The reality is the skateboarding world does not need me. It goes on quite fine without me. And I'm a liability. But unfortunately, I'm the last person to realize that because as an alcoholic and an addict, I possessed this job that consists of knowing everything. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, like, I have it all figured out.
0: Did, did And, and did, ultimately... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. Well, What I was going to say is when you got off the tour, did that magnify the the drug abuse more? You're like, okay, did, did you want to do, Ab- do it more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because it was at that point that it just kind of gave me that the the nudge that I needed to 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 ultimately not give a fuck. See, because now what I didn't know then that I know now, and what I've learned in in my in my my teachings is that, and my experience is that my life is lived forward and learned backwards. So everything that I'm telling you now, I did not know then. But but ultimately, what happened is I I had already been possessed with this alcoholic brain. That, that lies to me in my own voice that makes me believe the unbelievable, right? So so although I've been kicked off this tour and and, and to see video parts are no longer being produced, tours are no longer being scheduled, flights are no longer being booked, packages are no longer being sent. Because like, for me to acquire those simple things in life, I have to have conversations that consist of simple words like honest, reliable, dependable, and And those words do not help me get another drink or another drug, so I avoid them like the fucking plague. See, at that time, at that age, I can't recognize the pattern that's developing. Now, today, with six years sober, I can see that the grips of alcoholism and addiction already had me way before I even fucking knew anything about it. At that very young age, it had already disconnected me from reality and or abnormality so much that the abnormal had become the normal. And, and I was just starting on my journey of, of, of living to use and using to live So wow. as time progressed, I, you know, I, I, I skated less, I drugged more, convinced myself that, that everything was OK, that all of this was just an overreaction at best. You're just simply catching me at a bad time, uh, on a bad way and a bad day, and that tomorrow's going to be different. And I really believed that I was going to sort everything out tomorrow. But unfortunately, I would wake up tomorrow to repeat yesterday's actions and be stuck in Groundhog's Day for like the next 22 years. And all of all of those years, I'm always trying to 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 move this here like one big chess game to kind of keep keep this facade up to where I can drink and drug without repercussions. Ultimately, what I was doing was just rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. (laughs) Like the ship was going down, despite whatever the fuck I did. Until, you know, May 25th, 2015, I I admitted complete defeat. I could no longer justify or minimize the severity of the situation that I found myself in, and I was left as a 38-year-old homeless heroin addict who wanted to kill himself on a daily basis. I just didn't want to hurt myself in the process. I was horrible with suicide because I kept waking up and I was in a position in life where I was so low to the curb looking like a skyscraper. And I went from possessing that job for 22 years that consisted of knowing everything to walking into my 13th treatment center with, with despite, right, like despite being being uh, an amateur skateboarder for PAL designing, you know, my prototype shapes, despite... You know, being in these movies that broke box office records like Jackass and, and the TV shows Evil of Bam and, and CKY. And, and despite being like a uh, a best-selling author who had written an autobiography addiction memoir, despite all those successful things, I found myself walking into my 13th treatment center. I would just woken up from being a life support for seven days. Uh, my mother had bought me a plot. People had taken life insurance policies out on me. I had been medevac to four different hospitals in four different states for four different overdoses. My mother had sold three homes to financially pay for me to go to two different treatment centers. At the end of my run, I found myself standing on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park in Baltimore City, prostituting my body just to get another bag. I I, I couldn't understand how I had gotten there. Right, like like again, I had these goals, I had these dreams, I had these ambitions. And looking back, right now, having remained sober long enough to to, to be allowed to look back and recognize the synchronicity in life's events that have led me to the here and now, it's it's very easy for me to see how I ended up there. Right, like I ended up there because because uh, I compared out. I, I focused on the on the differences, not the similarities. I possessed that job that consisted of knowing everything. Um, I was defiant by nature. I hated authority. I refused to conform. And, uh, and ultimately I, I, I walked into that 13th the center with everything that I owned, that consisted of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant. And it, it fit into my bag that doubles my pillow, uh, a needle, a spoon and a restraining order. And, uh, wow. and at that very moment, at that very moment, I went from possessing that job that consisted of knowing everything to coming to the realization that you know what I do know. Is that I don't fucking know. Yeah. And my very best thinking places me here every goddamn time.
0: It's since the last six years, things have been your life's changed. It's turned yeah. around. It's yeah. turned around.
1: So I, I, I went to that treatment center. Now now out of the thirteen attempts at getting sober before, I've been to the specific treatment center four times. May twenty fifth, 2015, I found myself sitting in the same chair with the same intake coordinator that I had been in four previous times. And, and each one of those attempts would look like this. She would say, okay, Mr. Novak, your insurance will cover you for 90 days. And I wouldn't tell her. In theory, 90 days sounds great, but in reality, I'm more of like a 45-day kind of fella, right? Like I have this woman to do this job to fulfill, this state to go to. And she'd laugh at me each and every time and say, sweetheart, you have no idea. Anything and everything that you put in front of your recovery does not or will not matter because you will lose it. May 25, 2015, the terms of my contract have forever changed. I had finally been demoralized in just such a fashion from drugs and alcohol. I'd been beaten into a state of that When she gave me the same offer, she'd give me four previous times. Mr. Novak, your insurance will cover you for 90 days. I couldn't even come back with a counter offer because if I said no, if I said the word no, it would have entailed an explanation or a reason why. I literally was beaten speechless by my disease of addiction. I couldn't even talk. Thank God. She said, Sweetheart, all I could do was shake my head yes. She says, Sweetheart, get up to detox. I'll see you in four or five days. We'll finish this process then. I get up to detox, and a, and a series of events that had taken place that I just don't really have time to share right now but I had gotten robbed prior to walking into this treatment center and at the time I, I was like a homeless heroin addict and and I, I lived on the streets and I, I like didn't wear underwear I just had a pair of like dress slacks on and I had this button-up shirt on and, and I had these shoes on with one shoestring because I had lost the other shoestring along the way like while using it to tie up to shoot up with and, and when I went to to buy some heroin from these guys, they went to ro- They robbed me as opposed to serve me. When they robbed me, they ripped my front and my back pockets out. Now I don't have underwear, on, so now like my dick and my ass are completely exposed, and and they ripped my shirt open and all the buttons rip except for the very top button, and I'm now like. and I walk into treatment with this outfit on that looks like a gay East LA cholo gangbanger
0: because
1: I don't have like underwear to put on I don't have all I own is eight scarves two jackets three socks a stick of deodorant a needle a spoon a that's all the fuck I have to my name and I walk up to detox and there's this 19 year old kid working and he said Mr. Novak you're back And, and I'm like aren't you a fucking genius you don't miss a beat do you he said, Mr. Novak, I regret to inform you, but your clothes are not rehab-oriented. You need some underwear, you need some sweatpants, you need some slides. And The fact of the matter was, the disease from which I present not allow me to own such simple articles of clothing. So he said, come downstairs to the basement. We're going to go to the donations room. And we can see if we can find you some used underwear. And I'm like, what the fuck? How? I was a fucking, you know, I, I was an amateur skater by the term pro for pal.'" touring the world with like fucking all these pro skaters. I'm in these movies and all these TV shows. I'm a I'm a, a best selling author who's written an addiction memoir. My mother's a nuclear physicist. My brother's an attorney in the White House. Like my father died, a direct was all the disease of addiction. I know what drinking and drugging does to you. And and now I'm standing in the basement of my thirteenth inpatient treatment center next to it. 19 year old kid as he thumbs through these boxes looking for some used underwear and I'm praying to God that he found and how the fuck did I get here and as he's thumbing through the box he doesn't find the used underwear but what he finds is a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring he, pay, he finds a, a woman's tank top and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals now, I'm not a woman and I don't wear a size 13, but, but at that very moment, a few things were taking place that were forever going to change my life. And the, and the very first thing was that the, the, the God of my understanding showed up as a direct result of that gift of desperation. The pain had become so great at that very moment that I, I had turned it into my purpose he handed me the women's clothes, the shoes that do not fit, and I was overcome with a sense of willingness unlike anything a human could ever give. And, and I went upstairs. I, I got a shower. I got that Baltimore City smell off me. I was never so excited to put women's clothing on in my life. And I successfully, for the first time in my life, completed that 90-day treatment center. Awesome. And in that, in that treatment center, they would teach me things like, you know, that my mentality would create my reality. If I change my perception, I can change my world. And that one day my defects, meaning the very same things that kill me on a daily basis, a drink or a drug, could become my assets, which are the very same thing that people reach out to me and ask me to to share my message and, and deliver this message of promise, hope, and freedom, when it does not consist of a drink or a drug in a form of attraction rather than promotion, so that maybe if someone out there is listening that's struggling with their own addiction they can say to themselves, if that guy can do it, there's no reason why I can't. Right. You know, I I successfully completed that 90-day treatment center. From there, I went to a sober living house where I resided for one year. Now, I had been on parole and probation from 18 years old to 35. Never a free day in between. It would just follow me from state to state to state. Two years into my sobriety journey uh, or like right, about shy of two years i signed my release papers like I, i'm literally a free man that can go anywhere with anybody anytime i like I, I no longer live in a self-induced prison that consists of a four block radius that cost me ten dollars to get out of one bag of heroin at a time
0: right or you
1: know on, that on was a good feeling day.
0: though that had to be a good feeling
1: right dude you know, people often ask me how am I doing and my stock answer is way better than I fucking deserve. <laughs> you know what I mean? If justice was due, I'd be dead years ago. Maybe but maybe maybe awesome. you
0: deserve even better than you have now.
1: And that's what I'm saying. That's why like at the very the very least that I could do is devote my life to helping people that were in the very same position that I once was in. You know, hence me like, you know, I've I've Seven months ago, I, I, I bought a home and I turned it into a recovery home, exactly like the one that I lived in for one year, and I called it Novak's house. Uh, uh, it has 12 men in it. You know, I'm, I'm closing on a second house that will be open the 31st of next month, so that will be 12 more beds. You know, so I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out how to give a voice to the voiceless and some hope to the hopeless, just like I once was. And I'm just doing it by using my story in a form of attraction rather than promotion. Because talking to addicts and alcoholics, if you tell them what we need to do, we'll tell you why you need to fuck off. Because we know,
0: <laughs> right. you know. But right.
1: if, if I can make it sound doable and appealing, then it, hopefully it will become their idea. And when it becomes our idea, we excel at a rapid pace. It just has to become our idea first.
0: And you're doing that though through like uh, motivational speakings, or like you know, is that is that what you're doing with the punk rock and paintbrushes thing? Are you talking at a yeah. lot of those, or do you have actual artwork there too?
1: No, I don't have artwork. My my, um, my connection with them was, right? So it's actually really ironic. and Not a lot of people know this story. It's pretty new. Um, I didn't even really understand the significance of it until we were on the tour and I realized it. And it kind of goes back to what I said in the beginning of the interview is that, you know, my life is lived forward and learned backwards. Right before I went into that 13th treatment center, I had burnt every bridge. and And... A guy in my life who had worked very closely with me and, and kind of did like a an assistant position. You know, he's like, Novak, you've burned every bridge. No one's coming to see. You. Everyone's had to disconnect from you. I wish you well in this treatment center. And because you're going to feel alone, I think it's best if you like read a book. So I grabbed this book for you. Take a book with you. And he, I didn't pay any mind to what the book was. I just threw it in my bag. And after I completed Detox, I emptied my bag, and it happened to be Christian Asoy's, uh memoir.
0: Oh, okay, yep.
1: So so I read that like fucking ten times. And in reading that book, although I didn't believe in myself, I now believed in Christian. And I believed that if Christian could do it, then I could do it. Because see, now today, Christian Assoy's got 21 years sober. Um, wow. And I could relate to him, right? Like I, I he skated like I skated, he drugged like I drugged. We did the same things. His story held depth and weight, so it allowed me to believe in him and his story, which then in turn allowed me to believe in me just enough to become open-minded and willing to follow these suggestions. But anyways, I read the book, I read the book like 6 times front to back, back to front. He inspired me to believe that I could believe in me and, and actually do it. So I actually do it. Fast forward to around three years ago, Bam and I come out to Cali and we go to the tra- trade show and 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 I meet uh, I see Steve Callis Stephen Callis there and he brings his soy up and he's like Yo this is Novak Novak Christian blah 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 and we meet and I tell Christian the significance of his book and then he just goes and keeps it moving I keep it moving and around a year later. He calls me and he said, yo, I want you to know that I've been watching you and I see everything that you're doing and the amount of people that you're helping. And I saw that you just opened this recovery house called Novak's House. And I've done a painting and I've teamed up with this organization called Punk Rock for Paintbrushes. And, and we do these art shows and, and we're going to, I, I'm, I'm making 20 prints of the painting. I'm going to sell the painting and the 20 prints. And we're going to donate a portion of the proceeds to Novak's house that will uh, afford scholarships to individuals coming out of treatment, just like I was and I needed, right? When I was in that position, I needed that helping hand and someone to, to believe in me. And, uh, and they sold the prints, they sold the paintings, and, and then they sent a check to Novak's house, which in turn scholarships five guys.
0: Wow, and, um, that's awesome, dude.
1: And and the first alumni of Novak's house was one of the recipients of Soy scholarship. And that guy returned back home to his wife, who is now a, a husband to his wife, a, a, a father to his son, and a productive member of society. Right? Like, So the way that Christian inspired me, I inspired this guy, it's just kind of a, a, a pay-it-forward thing. And the help's coming from all over. So, so with the punk rock and paintbrushes, they're like, "Why don't you come on this tour? You kind of do a talk. You and Christian can do these talks, do a Q and A, um, and a portion of the proceeds will in turn go back to Novak's house to support, you know, people that need help, like I need it, like Christian need it. You know, it's just a paying it forward deal, man.
0: It's awesome. And you guys have been on tour for a minute, right? You guys have been touring around a little bit, like Detroit, yeah. St. Louis.
1: Yeah, Detroit, St. Louis, Chicago. It was fucking rad, man. It was me, Cav, Hensley, hasoy You know, skating like these iconic, legendary spots with those iconic, legendary people. And it literally just came full circle, if you think about it. I celebrated six years sober. My pro model came out for the Heart Supply, which is Johnny Schilleroff's new company. Um, and then... I'm finally touring with, like, these guys who at the time as a child, I was, like, you know, Cab and I wrote for PAL briefly for a period together before I decided to go do heroin full-time. But, like, I actually, everything came
0: full circle,
1: all in 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 hopes of, like, helping an addict or an alcoholic. Like, I couldn't have written this ending if I tried.
0: Right. Yeah, that's amazing. You know? how, how cool was that church, uh... Uh, skate park. I know there's guys in Saint Louis. I used to live there for a minute. Uh but I've never I've never rode that church. Is it pretty rad?
1: It was amazing. It was iconic. It was it was it's something that's really hard to put words in. You know, when you're sessioning that with Steve Cablow, Christian Soy and Matt Hensley all at the same time.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: that's like you know, the only one missing is like hawk from that session <laughs>
0: actually yeah totally and anyone listening it's it's uh it's a, a ramp inside of a church uh in st louis it's pretty sick well it's actually like kind of pretty much like a where well, they got like a half pipe and a little street course and stuff right so it's pretty sick they have, like
1: street, they have like a full deal in there they have a vert ramp they have a mini ramp and they have a, a whole street like a whole indoor skate park so they did sick. an episode about it on vice and you know it's it's like an iconic spot in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And St. Louis, yeah, it's cool that St. Louis has that. Like I said, I lived there for like five years. Uh, I missed it, though, that, that I moved. But anyways, before that was open. But anyways, uh, that's rad, though, that you're doing that. You know, you should do some art, though. You should. you should. I I think that have you ever tried to, to do any kind of art or paintings or drawings or anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when I was drinking and drugging, I used to paint tons, you know, and we'd bam and i were super into like just getting canvas and painting for days and i would like to do it now i I, unfortunately there's just not enough time in a day yeah you know but but at some point in time i would like to do something like that again yeah
0: yeah dude that's cool because you got you know express yourself in a lot of positive ways you're helping a lot of people um you know i'm just stoked that you've turned your life around it's inspiring dude yeah. I, um, you're inspiring me like yeah. I'm not I'm I've never been I've never done drugs. I'm not an addict. I'm not in that, you know, I don't know much about how, that the struggles that you have, but you're you're inspiring somebody like me that's never even done drugs. You know what I'm saying? Like you're an inspiration.
1: I'm I'm just grateful, man. I'm grateful that somebody believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Yeah. You know, like somebody loved me when I didn't love myself. People showed up for me when I didn't show up for myself. So now I'm just like simply trying to do the same for the next man or woman. You know, um, I believe that's what I'm intended to do at this very moment.
0: Badass. Tomorrow that can completely change. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? it won't change. It won't change. You get what you think and say. That's one thing yeah, I've learned absolutely. in life. You, 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 no, absolutely. Yep. Whatever you say, your subconscious mind hears and then your subconscious mind acts that out. You ever do that? Like I, ch- I tested this shit. Check it out. I wanted to buy a Jeep one time. Sounds stupid, but I said I want a Jeep. I want a Jeep. All I thought about was Jeeps. The only car I noticed on the street was Jeeps. You know what I mean? We've all done that with yeah, something in our lives. Absolutely. And that's your subconscious mind saying, "There's Jeep. Oh, there's Jeep." It's only picking out what you what you think and say. It was a test for me to say, "Is that really true?" And I'm like, "Oh, it is true." You know. So what you think and say is what you get. Do you believe that?
1: 100 percent i i i really took heed to what they told me and they told me in treatment like mentality creates reality right and Uh i that we i believe that we manifest the world that we live in through us right so like you know as a very young age my mother used to tell me show me who you walk with and i'll tell you who you are and that's why I really make it a point to walk with people who I really want to be like in one way, shape, or form.
0: Yep. That's awesome, dude. Well, I'm proud of you, dude. I'm stoked you turned your life around. Anyone out there, uh, pick out your book. Pick up your books. His books, Dream Seller and The Streets of Baltimore. I'm stoked yeah, on the they Novak House. i stoked on everything you
1: to go, The easiest way to go to my stuff is just go to my website. It's uh, my name, Brandon Novak, all one word, B-R-A-N, com, And that'll take you to all the stuff.
0: Awesome. Anyone listen? And did you have an Instagram you want to share too? I always like to plug that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brandon double underscore Novak. Um, so maybe if you could tag me in that when you do your post on the Instagram about this.
0: I will. I'll, I'll tag, tag you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, dude, I, I appreciate you taking the time, uh, third time's, if, third time's
1: a charm. Add, <laughs> absolutely. And if I could add the number, maybe if you could attach it to it for people to call that want help, that would be really cool.
0: Yeah, what's the number?
1: 610-600-9174.
0: And that's the number to your house, the Novak house? To,
1: no, that, that's to me and my team. And we'll figure out, like, like, if someone needs help getting into drug and alcohol treatment and they need, you know, kind of guidance and how to find a program or whatever the case is, or resources in general, that connects you to me and my team, and, and we'll do the best that we can to get you sorted.
0: Wow, dude. That's really that's really cool of you to do that. To do all the stuff you're doing, actually. So, um, like, take that. You know what I mean? To take everything you've been through and know what it's like and to say, all right, I want to help other people so they don't have to deal with that shit. That's really cool, man. There's not a lot of people out there sure. like that. It's not. If,
1: uh, if somebody didn't answer my call on that 13th tenth, I'm pretty sure that like, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> you know? So how dare I not pay that forward?
0: So badass. Well, listen, dude, I'm stoked for you. I can't wait to see you again. Thanks a lot for taking time to talking to me. I appreciate you.
1: Love
0: you, brother. Talk to you soon, right? Okay, stay rad,
1: bro. Bye. Late.